Welcome, dear listeners. This is the Dr. Metal Podcast, another surface where I try to spread my thoughts on metal culture, subculture, and its connections to art, religion, history, and mythology. My name is Janos Fejes, historian of religions and aesthetician from Hungary, with a PhD in literary and cultural studies. I am currently speaking to you from New York City, from the headquarters of drmetal.home.blog. Please look for the same name, Dr. Metal, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well for additional content. Please remember not to write it with a C, but with a K. Let us start today's episode. We arrived to one of the most problematic feasts of our age, that in Hungary for many is equal with dissension, anachronism or with the birching of national identity. The neo-pagans are upset as it has many Christian layers, certain Christians are upset as it has many roots from paganism. If after checking current date it is not clear what I am talking about, then all should think of the Soven All Hallows Eve Halloween Triad. No matter from which direction do we approach, This is the last big feast before the arrival of winter that has something to do with death and the afterlife. What band could be thus suitable for an episode for this time of the year? According to my opinion, Cradle of Filth of Britain bears all attributes that could be connected here. Why? In the coming minutes I tend to explain it. The band known as Cradle of Filth was founded in 1998 in Suffolk, Ipswich, England. The main man behind it, who is also the last founding member in current situation, is the singer-songwriter lyricist Daniel Lloyd Davy, who gained worldwide fame under the stage name Danny Filth. During the almost three decades of existence, the band released 12 full-length albums, a host of singles, compilations, reissues, etc., accompanied by an image and musical form that is quite divisive. The correct genre categorization is even a problem in connection with this band. We witnessed two main currents in their evaluation. The original black metal vibe and black and white makeups could bound the band to black metal or we can give a wider interpretation to them. I am follower of the latter, thus I make colder music as extreme gothic metal that would not harm the pride of true black metal believers not to call a plastic vampire band by their sacred label but to give room for them to be placed in the tradition of metal music. This tradition is contemporary gothic which describes best their image, music and lyric. Just before focusing on the lyrical achievements, it should be stated that because of their interest and choice of topics, the band is still the object of shock, outrage beyond the traditional boundaries of metal music's nature. Thus, in present chapter, I will not show or describe their most extreme moments only for the sake of shocking my audience, mostly because it would not give a wider perspective on them. The covers of the band tend to refer to 19th century traditional Gothic Romanticism, vampires, the undead and their tragedies, the turning up of religious symbols, the eroticism of nature and witchcraft, and the elements of contemporary Gothic can be witnessed on these pictures, guiding our sight toward the liminal and the mystic. Four key topics are to be interviewed through the band's career, taking pieces from the more than 10 records of the band without the interest to give a full-scale analysis. The first one is mythology, but it will clear soon that we do not meet traditional myth revitalizations in the band's art. 
from 1996, the legendary Dusk and her Embrace album's closure, Haunted Shores was chosen, that leads us to the mythology of their homeland. The mythic empire of Avalon of the Arthur Cycle is presented here, but not in a power metal-like shiny version, but as Hades would be introduced from the ship of Charon. It is not a fascinating and blessed empire, rather a place that is haunted by spirits and souls, where one can play revenge on the living, clearly using the methods of classical gothic ways pointing out the shady side of life. It is rather typical for the band to have concepts behind all their records, as in 2003 Damnation of the Day was classified as a mythological piece, as it is the rewritten version of Milton's Paradise Lost, covering the theme of original sin, the constant struggle between good and evil in a biblical and for the band anti-biblical manner. This interaction tells all the important concepts behind it, that is unique for us as the Budapest Film Orchestra and Budapest Film Choir played the classical parts for the record. This piece calls Lilith, the perfumed first wife of Adam, the demon who is in certain Jewish scripture, for example the Babylonic Talmud, was created from the same substance as Adam, making equal with him, not like Eve who is subordinated to Adam, as was created from his flesh. Thus Lilith is a dangerous demon in Jewish folklore who is seductive and may take away the newborn. The lyrics that are monstrously long for a popular musical piece, 29 verses, varying between 3 and 4 lines, uses the same dynamics as the one above, giving the great insight to the band's thought on femininity. Now turning to history, Godspeed on the Devil's Thunder from 2008 again has a conceptual line beyond, focusing on Gilles de Rais, a medieval French baron. The baron on the one hand is a military leader during the Hundred Years' War and a convicted occultist accused with kidnapping. The piece called The Death of Love takes us to 1431, when the friend and protégé of the Baron, Jean d'Arc, was captured by the English. The, du the duet of the Ré and Jean is on the last night of the latter, contemplating on the war and her future. The song ending with the execution of Jean, according to my opinion, is one of the peak performances, both musically and lyrically, that is still a fit piece of the band's repertoire, not lacking any authenticity besides its ballad attributes. And last but not least, the video is the best illustration for the song, please take a look at it. Remaining in the Middle Ages, the text of Maleus Maleficarium, or most commonly known as Hammer of the Witches, is the inspiration behind their album of the same name from 2015. The text itself is the manifesto of witch paranoia of the Middle Ages, that is not only a handbook for inquisitors to detect witches, their interrogation and execution, but as a grimoire, lists and describes all the spells and practices known that time. In the same manner, Cradle of Field creates their own version of it using vulgar, commonplace-like and lyrical texts, focusing much on the erotic side of the theme, as it is shown on the album covers as well. It may not be a surprising fact that most of the references used by Cradle of Filth arrive from the world of literature. From their more than wider repertoire of literature-inspired songs, now I have chosen to take only a narrow cut of it, presenting five songs from between 2000 and 2006 in a chronological order. The first one is the opening song of Midian from 2000 entitled The Cthulhu Dawn that is clear from the title that it was inspired by the works of Howard Phillips Lovecraft. It is once again at a surprise, as in the last decades a renewed interest appeared of his works, making it almost obligatory for a dark side of popular music to get inspiration from him. The name track gives a memento to the cults found in the world of Lovecraft that aim to awaken the great old ones such as Cthulhu to erase humanity from the earth. How lovely!
Next one is of the 2004 album Nymphetamine entitled Absinthe with Faust that revolves around two life that reach their end and the contemplation of their while drinking absinthe. Both the drink and Faust invite the listener to a spiritual time travel towards the final questions of poetry and morality, mainly the ones that are in accordance with the fate of souls after death. The last track of the same album is Mother of Abominations, continues the Lovecraftian topics. The specialty of the song lays in its choice of the gender of Cthulhu. According to Lovecraft, the Great Old Ones are sex and genderless, as they are from unspeakable parts of the universe, while the song names the monster as a mother, stressing her deathly attributes. Should I explain any of my thoughts? Maybe. On this point they are not necessary. The two last ones arrive from 2006 Thornography album. The Byronic Man paints the picture of the ever-restless poet identifying the type with Lord Byron. The profane closure of the rather sublime strong stretches quite good that even the most exquisite poets are humans deep down, which should not be forgotten, as the listener is reminded to eat harshly. The last literary, literary piece is lovesick for Mina that summons the most famous Mina of world literature, Mina Harker from the Dracula novel of Bram Stoker. Mina Harker is bitten by Dracula at least three times during the story and also makes her drink his own blood, sealing her fate to become a vampire as well. The song is sung from the deathbed of Mina from the mouth of Dracula who compares her to his present wives, Verona, Mariska and Alira, underlining the still living woman's purity and beauty that is quite important for him. In the first verse, both the attributes of Dracula and the love ignited in him by Mina are named as sickness, which draws a different perspective to love and its inner dynamic. The last section deals with some of the video clips made by the band. The first one is the yet-cited Nymphetamine album's eponymous track that is accompanied by Liv Christine Asmus, known from the Theatre of Tragedy and Leaves Eyes. The aesthetics more commonly known from the underworld movies, including leather, latex and lock dresses, and scenery could be described in two words, painting-likeness and voyeurism. Besides the swinging Liv Christine and the band's performance parts, we see Danny to hide in voyeuring two young women dressing. One of them dresses up as a woman, the other as a man, reproducing the conventional scenes of a male-female couple. The man is kneeling in front of the woman, the head of the man resting on the lap of the woman, etc. Shown in elongated, almost steel cuts. The grasping of lesbian love in this manner may create a highly dissonant atmosphere, suggesting that only this dualism may be accepted or assumed. But still, the video shows it as a secret game between lovers that is looked upon by Danny and the audience too from a secrecy as well. This penetrating look inside the inner room of a couple in love could not receive full and clear answers to their questions. The poetic lyrics of the songs represents once again a man subordinated to a woman, whereas the woman is a painkiller for the man. The saturated wordplay of the title consists of nymph and amphetamine. Put in a scenery of something like a catacomb grave in the pictorial and verbal dimension as well. It is really hard to find a piece in the world of popular music this much layered, making it easy to understand why Nymphetamine is one of the ultimate hits of the band. Continuing the problem of voyeurism, we arrived in 2010 to the song Forgive Me Father I Have Sinned, that both in video and lyrics revolved around the priest seduced by the senses. Already the title evokes the pictures of a confession, underlined by the scene itself, 
Shown in the video, either we see the priest bond and forced to watch a woman dance for him, or seeing him to voyeur over a bride. The choking situation is not eased by the fact that the voyeur bride asks the priest to commit a sin with her, evoking the motif of an alcoholic who wakes up every morning with the decision to leave alcohol but later drinking to drunkness again. Temptation is personified by the snake around the neck of the dancing woman, making the whole scenery to be connected with the topic of a celibate priest and the corporeal law found in world literature. For your vulgar delectation of 2012 invites us to the world of the now highly overrepresented zombie movies. The heroine presented here as Lara Croft runs from a horde of undead and fights them as well together with the awkward group controlling them is a quite a commonplace plot even with the happy ending where the woman kills all the undead and the cultists too. A professional movie-like clip it is that is a great instrument to create Halloween atmosphere with music. The 2017 record contains the song Heartbreak and Seance that opens with the band in a song fall as many ties towards nymphetamine, mostly related through the painting-like cuts where now we see the funeral of a young man and his wife mourning him and soon following him to the grave. The death of the young ones and their poses as graveyard sculptures are memento mori, confronting the resurrected young woman seen on the cover artwork. Does the death of a woman loved is final, while alone one may not rest in peace? Last but not least, we should mention that the last record, Existence is Futile, released just a week ago, both lyrically and visual aesthetically follows the path earlier designated for themselves. Romance and darkness, necromance and gothic fantasy in its finest environment. Let's are determined to evaluate the art of Cradle of Field as it is supposed to be. It is not by chance that many important musicians worked with them, such as Liv Christine or Will Avalo, Sarah Jezebel Deva, Nicholas Barker or Martin Powell, or that Doug Bradley had great parts in their albums as narrator. The ultimate theatrical but also poetic manner paired with profanity and vulgar attributes is the definite Halloween soundtrack, not as Mariah Carey's commonplace song accompanies Kixmas, but as Cradle of Fields besides is a product of mass culture, this does not mean that they lack quality, hates or death. The form may be quite hard to digest in many cases, but if someone hears Danny Fields sing for once, then can never forget him, and seals their common fate that it can be disgust or ave, there is no place in between. I would like to formulate the final question, what is Halloween today? It is nothing as in a form of entertainment, a profane religious feast, whereas Cradle of Field is a revitalizer of contemporary gothic romance within the metal scene. The shady versions of love and lust, showing the female to be the dominant and the inner struggles coming from it, makes the whole art of the band a constant erection that knows no rest nor satisfaction, or only maybe through death. This feature is something that society seems as immature and would want to hide and make a taboo, but secretly acknowledging that it is all behind existence. Are they plastic vampires or a real gothic band? It is made of rubber or something authentic. I would leave these decisions to all, but never forget that this band has attributes that reach beyond the everydays of consumer society. Thank you for joining me in today's analysis and mental travel into the world of metal and its culture. Thank you for your attention and interest. If you wish to get instant notification about new episodes, please follow the podcast on Spotify or Anchor. Please remember to look for the different social media services of Dr. Metal. Each and every one of those could be found in the Linktree link at the description of the podcast. 
There you can find contact info, etc. All feedback is appreciated. Thank you very much. Next time, I will wait you back.